Chapter 3 of Swati, the story of real boys. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Barkley. Swati, the story of real boys by Ellis Parker Butler. The Divorce After I got out of bed and went back to school, I fought Toady Williams a couple of times, but it wasn't much good because he wouldn't fight back. All the good it did was to make Mamie Little tell Lucy I was a mean, bad boy and that she would never speak to me again as long as she lived. Once I almost told her that it was me that got the father fashion plate out of the fire and that Toady Williams didn't do anything but pick it up out of the mud after I had got it for her, but I didn't tell her because then she would have thought I was sweet on her. That would have made me feel cheap. It made me feel pretty mean just the same to see the way Toady Williams was playing with her all the time when I had picked her out to be my secret girl. He gave her pencils and apples and everything, and I guess she liked it. I wished I was grown up so I could ride up on a bucking bronco and sling a lasso over Toady's head and jerk him into the dust. Then Mamie Little would say, Hello, Georgie. Can I get up and ride behind you over the wild plains because I don't want to have anything more to do with a fraidy cat like Toady? But it didn't seem as if anything like that was going to happen. Not for years, anyway. One day Swati came over to my yard and he said, Say! So I said, Say what? And he said, Say, you know Herb's tricycle? And I said I did. Herb was Swati's brother that wanted to marry my sister Fan and he had got the tricycle a couple of years ago when all the bicycles were high-wheel bicycles. He had got it for him and Fan to ride on, and it was a two-seat one, side-by-side seats, and after a few times Fan wouldn't ride on it because it made her as conspicuous as a pig on a flagpole. So Herb rode on it alone some, and with some other fellows some, but mostly he kept it chained up in Swati's barn and said he would scalp Swati and skin him alive if Swati ever touched it. So this day, Swati came over and he said, What do you think? Because Herb said when he was married to Fan, Swati could have the tricycle. You bet Swati was tickled. So I asked him who would ride on it with him. Well, you will, he said, and Boney. That's when I ain't taking somebody else. He didn't say who else, but I knew because I knew Swati was having my sister Lucy for his secret girl. And part of the time, I said, I can have it alone, can't I, Swati? It's my tricycle, he started to say. It ain't yet, I told him, and I guess if I go to work good and plenty, it never will be, because if I want to, I can think up how to make Fan mad at her again, and then you wouldn't get it. And anyway, if Lucy went to ride on it, she might fall off and get hurt, so I guess I'd tell my mother not to let Lucy ride on it, unless I could take it sometimes and find out that it was safe because I guessed that if Mamie Little had a chance to ride on that tricycle with me, she'd be pretty sick of that fat old Toady Williams mighty quick. So me and Swati fixed it up that way, that I was to have the tricycle part of the time, and he was to have it part of the time. The only thing was to get Herb and Fan married off as soon as we could, and to look out that nothing turned up to scare them away from each other again like that Miss Murphy fuss did. It wasn't going to take much to scare Herb away. I knew that. 
Well, I guess grown folks don't care whether they have a divorce or not because they are always having them, and so maybe they get used to having them and don't think much about it and are not ashamed to have them. But I guess a kid is always kind of ashamed when his folks get them. We never had one in our family, but we had babies, and I guess a kid feels about the same way when there's a divorce in his family as he does when there's a baby. Makes him feel pretty sick and ashamed and miserable. It ain't his fault, but he feels like it was. He goes out the back gate and sneaks to school through the alley, and when a kid sees him, the kid says, Ho, you had a baby at your house. And the kid that had the baby come to his house wishes he could sneak into a crack in the sidewalk or die or something. I guess that's the way it is when you have a divorce at your house. It ain't your fault, but you feel like it was, and you don't have any of the fun of fighting and getting the divorce like your folks do. You just have the feel-miserable part. So one day, about when the river began to fall again, only it was still mighty high, me and Swati and Boney went up to Boney's room in Boney's house. It was muddy weather in June, and I guess we had been wading in the mud or something, so we knew Boney's mother wouldn't let us go upstairs to his room unless we washed our feet first, unless we sneaked it. So we sneaked it. The reason we went up was so Boney could prove it that the Victor bicycle his father might maybe buy for him, weighed only 45 pounds. He had a catalog to prove it with, but it was up in his room, so we went up to get it. It proved it all right. Swati said that was pretty light for a bicycle to weigh, and I said it too. So then we said a lot more things about a lot of other things, but mostly we talked about the bicycle, because Boney was going to let me and Swati learn to ride on it if he got it. Swati bet he could get right on it and ride right off as slick as a whistle because he had an uncle in Darlingport that had a dozen bicycles. So then Boney said he'd like to know why, if Swati's uncle had that many, he didn't send Swati one. Swati said maybe he would. We just kind of talked and let the mud dry on our feet and crack off onto the floor. Well, in the floor in one place there was a hole, and Boney showed us how he could look through it down into the dining room and see what his mother was putting on the table for dinner whenever she was putting anything on. The hole was about as big around as a stovepipe, and it had a tin business in it to keep the floor from catching a fire because that was where the stovepipe from the dining room stove came up through the floor to go into a drum to help heat Boney's room when it was winter. So we all looked down into Boney's stovepipe hole to see it was like he said, and it was. Just then, Boney's father came into the dining room. He had his hat on, but it wasn't time for dinner or anything, and he didn't come into the dining room as if he was coming for dinner. He came in fast and threw his hat on the floor and pounded on the table twice with his fist. The dishes jumped, and a milk pitcher fell over on its side and spilled the milk. Mary! Mary! he shouted. So Boney's mother came in from the kitchen. Why, Henry, she said, what's the matter? 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 he shouted. I'll tell you what's the matter. I'll show you what's the matter. Look at this. Look at this, will you? Me and Swati looked, but Boney kind of drew back from the hole, and his mother didn't look. I guess she didn't have to. I guess she knew what it was without looking. It was a bill, all right. Me and Swati could see that, but we didn't know what it was for, whether it was for a hat or a dress or what. So Boney's father threw the bill on the table and stood with one fist on the edge of the table, and the other fist opening and shutting. Boney's mother had been paring potatoes or something, I guess. She wiped her hands on her apron, but she didn't pick up the bill. Well, 
she said, of all the useless, idiotic, ill-timed, outrageous, unheard-of extravagance ever incurred by any brainless, gadabout, senseless, vain peacock of a woman, Boney's father said, Henry, stop right there, Boney's mother said. This time I will not listen to your abuse. Year after year I have put up with this brow-beating. I go in rags, and if I so much as buy rags... Boney's father shouted, "'Rags! You in rags? You dare taunt me with that? When you crowd enough on your back to support a dozen families? Rags! When from year's end to year's end I do nothing but struggle to pay your eternal bills?' Well, maybe I haven't got what Boney's father and mother said just the way they said it, but it was like that. So they had a good start, and they went right on, and pretty soon Boney's father was walking up and down the room, talking loud, and pounding the table every time he passed it, and Boney's mother was sitting with a corner of her apron in each hand, and the hands pressed to her cheeks. Her eyes were big and scary. So then Boney's father stopped in front of her and said a lot, and she didn't talk back. So that made him mad, and he took the tablecloth and jerked it, and all the dishes fell on the floor and broke. Boney just went to the bed and lay on his face and squeezed his hands into his ears. I guess he felt pretty mean. He was crying, but we didn't know that then. We found it out afterward. So then, when all the dishes broke, Boney's mother sort of yelled and jumped up. Swati said, Gosh, what's she going to do? But she didn't do anything like we thought she was going to. She bent down, picked up a dish that wasn't all smashed to pieces, and put it on the table as easy as could be. And then she untied her apron and folded it up and laid it over the back of a chair as neat as a pen. She looked at herself in the mirror and the sideboard, and then walked around Boney's father and went toward the door into the hall. Where are you going? Boney's father asked. Going, she said, or something like that. I'm going to see if I can't put a stop to this sort of thing. I have had enough years of it. I'm going to see Mr. Raskop. Well, we knew who he was. He was a lawyer. Very well, said Boney's father. Go. I assure you, you cannot get a divorce too quickly to suit me. I guess that when the loud noise stopped, Boney thought the fight was over and listened again. Anyway, he was listening now, and he heard what they said. I thought that, said Boney's mother. This is not the first time by many that I have thought it. You will be glad to be rid of me, and I of you. My mother will be glad enough to have me with her. I shall, of course, take the boy. As you like, said Boney's father. The boy was Boney, so he began to blubber worse than ever. He was pretty much ashamed, and when his folks began to talk quiet-like without shouting, me and Swati began to be ashamed too. We felt the way you feel when there's just been a baby at your house, as if we hadn't ought to be there. So Swati picked up his hat. Come on, he said, let's go. It ain't no fun up here in Boney's room. Wait, Boney whispered like he was scared to be left there alone. So we waited. He came along with us. We tiptoed downstairs and outdoors, and I tell you, it was good to get outside, where there wasn't any divorce, but just good spring mud and things. So Swati whistled at a kid down the street, but it was a kid Swati had said he would lick if he caught him, so the kid ran. Well, we sat down on the grass under the tree, and me and Swati talked pretty loud and fighty because Boney wasn't saying anything at all and was looking so earnest it made us feel sort of ashamed. He was thinking of the divorce. So me and Swati talked fighty to each other to try and make Boney forget. But Boney didn't laugh. He 
He didn't even smile. So Swati took some mud and stuck it on his nose and pretended it was medicine or something to make Boney laugh. But Boney didn't laugh. I guess he felt pretty bad. Maybe a kid always feels that way when his folks are going to get divorced. So then Swati said, Hey, George, this is the way I'll ride on Boney's bicycle when he gets it. So he pretended he was on a bicycle, and he pretended to fall off all sorts of ways and to run into a tree and everything. Then I thought of something. I said, Say, if they get a divorce and Boney goes away, we can't learn bicycle riding on his bicycle. We hadn't thought of that before. Right away we forgot about whether Boney was feeling sick or not. We hadn't stopped to think that a divorce Boney's folks were getting would make a big difference like that to me and Swati. Kind of brought us right into the divorce ourselves. Swati looked frightened. Gosh, that's so, he said. We can't learn to ride on a bicycle that's in another town. And say, I said frightened, if Herb hears about it and how married folks fight and get divorces over hat bills and things, he's going to be scared to marry Fan because... Hat bills are the things father scolds Fan most about. He'll ask Fan if she has hat bills. Gosh, said Swati again, we've got to stop the divorce. Only he said divorce, because that was how he talked. I thought so too. If Boney's folks got one and Herb heard about it and got scared of marrying Fan, then Swati wouldn't have the tricycle, and I couldn't take Mamie Little riding on it and make fat old Toady Williams look sick. So I thought like Swati did, but I said... Well, how are you going to stop it? If Boney was to get the diphtheria and get it bad, that would stop it, he said. I saw that was so. If Boney got the diphtheria and got it bad, they wouldn't let him travel on the train, and so his mother couldn't go to his grandmother's, and that would stop it. So I said, Yes, and while he was sick, we could use his bicycle all the time. How's he going to get diphtheria? Why, as easy as pie, Swati said. They've got it down at Marx's. All he's got to do is to go down there and sneak in and stand around in Billy Marx's bedroom until he gets it. Diphtheria is one of the easiest things you can get. Anybody can get it. It looked like a mighty good plan to me. Me and Swati went on talking about it, and the more we talked, the better it was. We talked about how long it would be after Boney got exposed to it before he would really have it, and Swati said that wouldn't matter. All Boney would have to do would be to go right down to Marx's and get exposed, and then hurry home and tell his mother. The divorce would stop right away, and wouldn't have to wait until he was sick in bed before it stopped. So then I said that anyway, Boney's father would send for the bicycle right away, because fathers always hurry up to get things when their boys are good and sick. It was bully and fine, and me and Swati felt pretty good about it. But Boney spoke up. I ain't going to get diphtheria, he said. Well, that's the way some fellows are. You go and work your brains all to pieces, thinking up things to help them out of their troubles, and then they say something like that. We saw it wasn't any use to coax him. If we wanted to stop the divorce, we would have to do it another way. I said, I know the preacher that Boney's mother goes to the church of. Well, what's that got to do with it? Swati asked. Well, couldn't we tell him about it and get him to stop the divorce? When Jim Carter wouldn't marry our cook, my father told the Catholic priest, and he made Jim Carter marry her as easy as pie. That's no good, Swati said. That was marrying. That's what priests and preachers are for, marrying folks together. They ain't for divorcing them apart again. If it was somebody I wanted to have married together, of course I'd have thought of a preacher right away. You don't think I'm so dumb as to not have thought of that, do you? 
But this ain't marrying them together. It's keeping them married together. It's keeping them from divorcing apart. Then all at once he said, gosh, what are you garshing about? I asked him. Gosh, he said again, I guess I am dumb. I guess I ought to let a mule kick me. I ought to have thought of it right off. Thought of what, Swati? Why, the judge. You talking about preachers and priests and all them and not thinking of the judge. It's a judge that always divorces people apart, ain't it? Well, what we've got to do is to see the judge, tell him not to divorce Boney's folks apart. Come on, we'll go see the judge and tell him not to divorce Boney's folks apart. Well, I guess we didn't think when we started how we would do it. We just started. When we got down to the courthouse where the judge stays, I didn't feel so much like doing it, and Boney didn't feel like doing it at all. It was different when we got down there than it was when we were sitting on the grass under my apple tree. All along the front edge of the front porch of the courthouse were big pillars, and each pillar was as big around as twenty boys standing in a lump would be. So me and Boney, we sort of peeked into the hall and went out on the porch again, but Swati went right inside. So we sort of frowned at Swati and shouted in a whisper, Ah, come on, Swati, let's go home. But Swati spoke right out, as if he wasn't afraid of the courthouse at all. Ah, come on, he said, what are you afraid of? I wouldn't have talked out loud like that for anything. His voice came back in echoes. Ah, come on, mama, mama. ah, no, no, no. Like that, every word he said, said itself over and over that way. But Swati, when we didn't come, went down the hall, and when he found an open door, he went right in. He asked for the judge. We looked into the hall, and we saw Swati come out of the door he had gone in at, and we saw him go up the wide stairs and push open the green door at the head of the stairs and go in. After a while, he came out again and came downstairs and out on the porch. Did you see him? I asked. No, he said. I'd ought to have remembered that this was Saturday. Judges don't have court on Saturday. They go fishing. So then Boney began to cry. He leaned against one of the big pillars and began to snigger like a little kid that's lost. And then he turned his face to the pillar, and I guess he bawled to himself. I guess he had sort of thought Swati would have everything fixed so there wouldn't be any divorce when he came from the judge's room, and it disappointed him. So Swati said, oh, Shut up, your bellerin. You ain't going to let your folks get divorced, are we? You make me sick, acting like we was. I guess me and George know what we're going to do, don't we, George? So I says, yes. What is it? Well, Swati knew just what we were going to do, and so did I after he told me. We were going to go to the judge where he was fishing and tell him not to divorce Boney's folks. And that was all right because Boney's mother was afraid of the water and wouldn't ride in a rowboat, and so even if she wanted to get divorced quick, she couldn't be until the judge came back from fishing. So then I said, Ah, there ain't no fishing when the water is so high in the river. Ah, who told you so much? Swati said. You think you know all the kinds of fishing there is, don't you? Well, I guess you don't. I guess me and the judge knows more kinds of fishing than you do. So we walked down to the river. Swati told us, It was buffalo fishing you do with a pitchfork. I guess you know what kind of a fish a buffalo is. First, nobody ate buffalo fish but niggers, and they ate dogfish too. But pretty soon the fish market men got so they shipped buffalo fish to Chicago and everywhere just like they shipped catfish. But nobody in our town ate them but niggers because they tasted a mud. Maybe the Chicago people like to taste mud. Well, anyway, the buffalo fish eat grass or roots or something, and in the spring when the river is high and up over the bottoms, 
The buffalo fish swim up to wherever the edge of the river has gone in the grass and weeds, and sometimes they swim in so close that their backs stick out of water, and they sort of swim on their bellies in the mud. Dozens and hundreds of them, big fat fellows. So then the farmer can't plow yet because it is too muddy in the fields, and they get their farm wagons and some pitchforks and drive down to the river. Then they separate apart and wade out and come together again when they're about waist-deep, and they wade in toward shore, and the buffalo fish are between them and the shore. Then the farmers go with a rush, and the buffalo fish get scared. Some of them get so scared they try to swim right up on shore on their bellies, and some try to swim out into deep water. But whatever they try to do, the farmers just pitchfork them onto shore. Wagon loads of them. So before the Chicago folks got to like buffalo fish, the farmers chopped the buffalo fish into bits and plowed them into the ground to make things grow better. But now they mostly hauled them to town and sold them to the fish market men for one and one-half cents a pound. So that was where the judge was. He was over to a farmer's named Shepherd in Illinois because he had never pitchforked buffalo fish before and he wanted to do it once and see what it was like. Me and Swati and Boney knew where Shepherd's was because when you were over in Illinois, you could get a drink of water there. I guess it was almost a mile across the river, and then it was almost five miles back to Shepherd's bottomland cornfield. We got a skiff at the boathouse, and me and Swati and Boney rowed across the river. The water was mighty high, and the current was everywhere, and not just in one place, and it was strong. Boney sat in the stern, and me and Swati rowed, and we had to row almost straight upstream. It was hard work. My wrists swelled up and got hot and tight, but we kept thinking about the divorce we didn't want Boney's folks to get, and we kept on rowing. Even with the boat pointed almost straight upstream, we were about half a mile below where we started, when we reached the Illinois side and rowed in among the trees. It was easier there, not so much current. It was fine rowing through the trees, seeing everything, and nothing looking like it usually does. We came to the first slough, and it was just water, like a road of water between the trees. And we kept on rowing and came to the second slough and the third slough, and they were like that too. And then we came out of the trees, and we were in a whale of a lot of water. Boney said, oh, and Swati looked over his shoulder and said, gosh, and stopped rowing. It looked like miles and miles of water, water we had never seen before. And all at once he felt little and lost and sort of frightened. Gosh. Swati said, I was never here before. Where is it? I asked. Swati looked all around. I don't know, he said. I never heard of a place like this. Swati, I said, what? Let's go home. I guess I sort of whined it, and so Boney began to cry. Swati stood up and let his oars rest and looked all around. He looked anxious, and when Swati looked anxious, it was time to be frightened. Anyway, I thought so. When Swati had looked all around and didn't know any more than he did before, he sat down and looked over the edge of the boat at the water. So I did it. What do you see, Swati? I asked, because I was afraid he saw something to be frightened of. But what he saw was little flecks of leaves and things floating by in the water, the way dust floats in the sunlight. And the reason he looked was so he could see which way the current was running, because no matter where we were, we wanted to row upstream. We had gone into the woods below the bottom road, and when the water was as high as it was now, the bottom road either made a dam across the bottom, or the water came over it like a waterfall, or rushed through in a rapids nobody could row up. So Swati knew we couldn't have passed the bottom road, but must be below it somewhere, and the place we wanted to be at 
was just where the bottom road hit the hill. So what we had to do, wherever we were then, was to row upstream. So we rowed. We rowed I don't know how far. And all at once, Boney said, Look out, you're rowing into something. Me and Swati backed water as quick as we could and looked over our shoulders. What we had nearly rowed into was a pile of sticks and a heap of dried grass. It was a good deal as if somebody had chucked a couple of forks full of hay on a lot of driftwood and set it adrift. There's something alive in it, Boney sort of shivered. Swati looked, and I looked. Mushrat's house, Swati said right away, and it was. It was the kind the mushrats make so that when a flood comes, it will float and not sink. And there it was, right out in the middle of the lake we were lost in. Then all at once, Swati said, Say! Gee, scared me. What, Swati? I asked. Say, he said, we're floating away from that mushrat house and it ain't floating with us. I never heard of a mushrat house out in the middle of a lake with a current floating by that didn't float with a current. Are you scared, Swati? I asked, for if he was scared, I didn't know what I would be. No, I ain't scared, he said, but it ain't right. It ain't possible, that's all. I bet this is a haunted lake. I bet there's a haunted house around here and an old witch or something. Come on, let's get out of it then. Let's row, I said. You bet I'll row, Swati said, and we did. We steered off to one side of the mushrat's house and rowed hard. We had a good double-ender skiff, rounded bottom and not flat bottom, and we made her hump. All of a sudden, Swati's left oar came out of the oarlock, and he nearly fell backwards into the bottom of the boat. He got up and slapped the oar back into the oarlock, and we both rowed hard. We ain't moving, Boney said that. He was hanging onto the sides of the skiff with both hands, looking scared and white. And you never heard anybody say anything the way he said that. It was like he had seen a ghost. Me and Swati stopped rowing and looked. About twenty feet away from us was that old mushrat house, and we could see a little ripple of water on the upper side of it, but it wasn't moving, and we weren't floating away from it. There was the same kind of ripple against the bow of our boat. We rowed again, and we rowed hard, and the skiff didn't move. There we were, out in the middle of that haunted lake, or whatever it was, and no bottom that you could reach with an oar, and we couldn't row upstream, and we didn't float downstream. And over yonder was a mushrat's house just like we were. It sure looked like we were in a haunted lake, and I didn't blame Boney for being scared and crying. I was scared myself. It looked like we were in a haunted lake we could not row out of, and that we might have to stay there forever. Well, gosh, Swati said, we rowed up here. We ought to be good and able to row back where we come from. So we swung the skiff around and rowed down current. No good. We didn't move at all. But we just moved a foot or two. It wasn't like when you run up on a snag or a rock. It wasn't stiff like that. We floated all right, but we couldn't go anywhere. Listen, Swati said. Way off far, we heard voices and splashing, sounding the way things sound when you hear them across water. Swati shouted, Hello, he shouted, and his voice came back to him, Lo, ho, ho, in an echo the way echoes do. All right, he said. Now we know where the Illinois hills are anyway. That's the way they echo back at you. So they must be over there. And I bet those men splashing in the water are after buffalo with pitchforks. So that's where we want to row. That was pretty fine, wasn't it, when we couldn't row at all? I told Swati so. I said we'd better shout and have the men come and get us. Swati said they'd just think it was kids shouting for fun. 
and I guess that's what they did think, for we shouted and shouted, and when we quit we could still hear the men laughing and talking and splashing. So then Swati sat down and put his head in his hands and thought. When he looked up, he said, Do you believe in haunts and things? I don't know, I said. Do you? I don't know either, Swati said. Maybe I do and maybe I don't. But I know one thing. I ain't going to believe in them until I have to. I ain't going to believe this boat is witched here until I know it ain't stuck here some other way. I'm going to find out. How? I asked. Well, if we're stuck, we're stuck on something under the water, and that's sure, and I'm going to skin off my clothes and find out. So he did. I wouldn't have done it for a million dollars, and I tried to make him not, but he did it. He took off his clothes and lowered himself over the side of the boat and said, gosh, how cold it was. So then he edged himself along, holding on to the side of the boat, and all at once he swore. What? Me and Boney both asked at once. Bob wire, he said, and he let go with one hand and felt down into the water. Then he took hold of the boat with both hands and felt along under the boat with his feet. It's a post, he said. It's a bob wire fence. So that was what it was. There was a bob wire fence, and we had rode right on top of one of the posts and stuck there on a nail or something. And the post was loose in the mud and gave when we rode, so we couldn't wrench loose by rowing. That was why the mushrat house did not float downstream. It was caught on another post. So all at once, Swati said, I know where we are. We're in Shepherd's Lower Cornfield. And that was where we were. The water had come up and covered it up to the tops of the bob wire fence posts. Well, Swati's teeth were chattering, but he wouldn't get right into the boat. He made me and Boney row while he was out, and I guess with the boat lighter it floated off the post easier, for it did float off. So then Swati got in and dressed, and we rowed toward the voices and the splashing. It was Judge Hannon, all right. He was pitchforking buffalo fish with the shepherds. He had on rubber hip boots, and he was hot and having a good time. We rowed in close to where he was and watched them pitchfork a while, and then Swati backwatered the skiff up to where the judge was standing and said, Say, Mr. Judge. The judge leaned his hand on the stem of the boat and said, Yes, my lad, what is it? Are you the judge that gives divorces? <laughs> I'm the one that don't give them unless I have to, son, the judge laughed. Looking for one? You don't look as if you had reached that age in state yet. It ain't mine, Swati said. It's Boney's folks's. They're having a fight, and they're going to get a divorce, and me and Georgie and Boney don't want them to, so we rode over to tell you not to give them one. The judge felt in his pocket, got out his spectacles and put them on, and looked at us. He asked which was Boney, and then he knew who Boney was, and that he knew Boney's folks. He said he did. And you don't want any divorces in your family, eh? He said. Why not? Boney didn't say anything, so Swati started to tell about the bicycle, but before he got very far, Boney just doubled over and put his head on his knees and began to beller like a real baby. So the judge stopped Swati. Son, he said to Swati, I guess you've mistooken the proper legal grounds for not giving divorces. The desire of a youth to learn to ride one of the condemned things when he is related to the separating parties only by a neighborhood is not sufficient to sway the court. But you, son he said to Boney, have got exactly the right idea. You've swayed this old bald-headed court right down to the mud he's standing in, and so help me John Joseph Rogers. If those two parents of yours get a divorce, it will only be over my dead body. Hey, Sheb, can these kids go up to your house and get some buttermilk? 
So I said I didn't like buttermilk, and the judge said, Caesar's ghost. I didn't mean get it for you. I meant get it for us. So we got it. So Boney's folks didn't get a divorce. Anyway, if they did, they didn't separate apart from each other. And that was all me and Swati cared for, because Herb Schwartz wouldn't be scared to marry Fan, and maybe we could hurry up the wedding and get the tricycle sooner. End of chapter 3